The Evolve Pod is brought to you by TriSwimCoaching.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Evolve Pod. We are looking forward to episode 27 today. I'm here with a really good friend of mine, James Hudson, who's been on the pod before. But we're uh, going to talk about nutrition today and lots of things that have uh, that James has been through over the last few months in terms of some endurance challenges and things that he's learned. I feel, and I know James feel, would actually really benefit all of us to uh, to listen to, to he and I having a conversation about these things. Before we get going with James. I'd just like to remind you all that this podcast is brought to you by TriceFromCoaching.com. And if there's any way you think I can help yourselves with your well-being, whether that's individually or as part of your business, then please don't hesitate to get in touch. I'm giving 10 hours of my time for consultations to see how I can help you. Okay, right, James, how are you, mate? You well? I'm very well, thanks, Ali. Just had a um, delicious curry, so I'm, I'm well fed and I'm ready to ready to chat. Happy days. Well, on the subject of food, obviously, I follow you on Instagram. I've been seeing a few new ingredients in your fridge that you've been cooking with. Tell us a little bit about what they are and how you came across them. Well, firstly, it's I always try and practice what I preach with not just nutrition, but, you know, whatever in my whole coaching journey. So one of those things I teach is diversity and the benefit of having lots of different ingredients in the diet. I think it's an element or a real foundation of your nutrition that is a bit under undervalued. So the way I try and get new ingredients into my diet is to shop at different places and was quite lucky. I was taken with the in-laws to a farm shop um, last weekend and we're having a look around and I thought, God, there's a few ingredients here that firstly I've never even eaten. And secondly, that I love and just, they're not part of my normal routine because you sort of fall in a bit of a routine with your, with your shopping and vegetables, especially, and you start eating the same things over. So I thought, right, I've got this opportunity. I'm just going to put some things in my basket and, and give it a go. We were, we were chatting off air about what I actually had in my fridge. And I've got, we had some artichoke, um, well, they're not, not the Jerusalem ones, the um, globe artichokes and dipping them into this lovely bit of vinaigrette. So I was encouraging my fiance and I said, well, why don't we have them as a starter? And actually, instead of just sort of having it as part of a meal, let's really showcase this ingredient. So that's something that people don't do often enough with vegetables is make them the, like the, the main thing, the main event. And if you have it as a starter, well, it's quite a good way of doing that. And then I also picked up this really random ingredient, which um, I got a lot of traction on Instagram of everyone saying, oh, no, this is how you use it, because I was clearly very clueless. It was called a... A co- I'm going to pronounce this really wrong. It's spelled K-O-H-L Rabi. So a coal Rabi. But apparently it goes really well in coleslaw. And I just chopped it up raw and had it in a salad. Um, tasted not particularly flavoursome, but it absorbed the um, the sauces I put on it. So it was, it was nice. It's a new fibre to my diet. So yeah, it, it works from what I'm trying to do and get new fibres in. So it's feeding my gut microbes with something different. That's a... Uh, Sometimes you've got to eat not just for your own pleasure, but for your gut microbes. A little bit weird, but something to do. I really like the way you brought diversity into the chat straight away. I think if we think about a training plan or you think about a goal that you've got, let's take running, for example. If you're looking to train for a sort of a 5, 10, 10K run, if you go out and do the same thing the same time of day for the same duration at the same effort, 
three or four times a week, you're not really going to get any benefit or change from that apart from just maintaining what you already do. And I think if we translate that into what a nutrition plan can do for you, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit through this podcast, through your sort of learned experience, I think diversity is absolutely the key when you're looking to kind of, you know, get the best out of yourself, you know, keep mixing things up, keep changing, keep trying things, keep kind of coming out of your comfort zone. I really like that approach to what you do. It's, it's a really cool cool um cool outlook on on particularly on nutrition i'm very much i get set in my ways with food particularly with a young family it's very easy just to put the easiest thing that you know into an, into an oven and then it's there and it's ready without having to think about it but i think you know already that's something i'm going to refresh with my own nutrition and well, take, I, and, take, take the family to a farm shop alley go put some yeah stuff in well, I can remember you talking about artichokes there. I remember sitting with my parents and my family having artichokes and peeling off the leaves and dunking them in like melted butter and like sliding them between your teeth. That's yeah. a really, really fond memory. So I think, yeah, definitely we might we might start sort of testing out some new vegetables on, on our kids and family, which would be quite fun. That's it. Um, mate, so yeah, recently you've, uh, you've challenged yourself with a hundred mile run which is uh, which is there's no mean feat at all I mean 100 miles is a long way and I think you gave yourself a 24-hour sort of target and I really want to kind of get into that and and sort of talk about that as a challenge talk about what it means for you as a nutritionist some of the lessons you've learned and the plan that you put in place but I mean I mean let's kick it off how, how did you kind of um why did you challenge yourself to do that It'd always been on the bucket list, in all yep. honesty. Ever since reading Born to Run, I sort of got a bit absorbed by the ultra running community and suddenly just went down this rabbit hole and thought, wow, I, it'd be so awesome to see if I could run for that length of time. But then it was always, oh, well, you can probably run when you're older, right? Maybe I'll just stay doing CrossFit and sort of building muscle for now. And then suddenly I was mainly doing CrossFit and lockdown happened and just couldn't really get in the gym. And was getting a bit down and because I couldn't progress with my goals in the way I wanted so I thought hey maybe it's time just to pick up that ultra ultra goal and and run with it because I can run at the moment so it's something I'm in control of and how did you actually find the the build-up towards a challenge like that because I, I obviously work with people week in week out day in day out that have big challenges and one of the things I try to maintain with people is to is to try and normalize the challenge that you have got upcoming so that it's not this big beast that's kind of staring you in the face for months how did you kind of deal with that side of the preparation i i tried to think about enjoying the process and seeing nice. it as a real learning experience because i think i was probably too excited when i first started and was like hey this is great i haven't really been running much but i'm fit and i just started running really far and then was experiencing really bad calf issues so then i thought oh well this is probably an opportunity to refine my running form so i went and did the, the shane benzi coaching clinic and thought oh wow i've completely got this new skill i can run more efficiently and since then i you know didn't get this calf pain i could run increasing distances and I, I chunked the goal. So I had a 40 mile run booked in and then six weeks later I had the 100 mile. So I thought I can sort of dip my toe in the ultra world and try and tick that one off and then recover as best I can. And then I know a bit more about it and I can practice my nutrition and really try and learn as much from that experience going into the 100. But what you said was interesting is like how it doesn't become so daunting in the 
maybe the five miles. So from mile 35 to mile 40 in that um, race that I did, I was scared. I was so scared of what I'd got myself into. I was running thinking, oh my God, I'm I'm going to be able to do this, like finish this 40 miler and I feel pretty comfortable. I feel okay, but I've got to do this again and a half. And I'm thinking, holy, like, wow, <laughs> what have I, uh, what have I signed myself up for? But I think then a few days after that, I thought, you know, this is okay. You've got, you've got a decent amount of time to train. So by that stage, I was working with a running coach and I had a really nice detailed plan that made me feel confident that I just had to execute my training plan and nutrition wise I thought you know I've been practicing loads of stuff and learning loads of different fueling strategies and I'm going to have this awesome plan for the 100 miler we'll get into that in a second but I've I felt good in the in the week prior I thought I've done all my preparation and having chunked it down and having experimented and practiced so much and been on this learning journey I I felt good going into it I think if you trust the process like you said and you've got a team of people around you that are helping you get to the goal I think if you can get to the sort of the, a week out of, of a big event and feel like you've done pretty much everything within your ability to get yourself as sort of functionally fit as possible for the given challenge, I think that's a really strong position to be in because ultimately with a week to go, there's not much more you can really do. And if you suddenly realise at that point, I haven't done enough training or, <laughs> or <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't got a plan in place, it's probably a little bit late. So then... You know, that week leading up to the race and then, you know, the morning of the race, like, talk us through the sort of uh, the 24 hours of of, of the Robin Hood. Oh, OK. Well, week leading up was chill, taper, like trying not to do as much as I normally do. The 24 hours before was you know, packing up, getting ready. We, we stayed in Airbnb beforehand. But actually, I, I was exceptionally nervous and I haven't felt like that. I don't think ever um had this splitting headache um then tried to sleep and I couldn't really even sleep I had a horrendous night's sleep and for those who also have whoop I it's a band that you wear and it tracks your heart rate and it says how recovered you are I wish I hadn't looked at my whoop the morning of the run because it was about 13 percent recovered and I was thinking oh this is great news so I um I was plan, planning my nutrition. I had everything set, taking it up to the Airbnb, I had it in Tupperware. I thought, right, I've, I've, at least I'm confident with my nutrition plan. This is one thing. I might not be feeling great, but I'm going to be really well fueled through the whole thing. I've practiced running on all this food. So had a bit of caffeine um, in the paracetamol, um, or was it paracetamol and caffeine to sort of try and actually feel a bit better in the morning of the run. And then got there and did a bit of stretching and it's very different actually like it's nothing like doing a marathon or a half marathon or even a park run it's it's just a I mean there's there was about 70 people that started but everyone's super chill they've got a backpack there's a few support people and it's kind of like just meeting up for a run and then people amble off it's it's not like this huge event which I think in your head you've got this hundred miler it's this massive thing but it's actually a reasonably small event or at least the one I did was so to start the run I I was you you said um, earlier on that I had this 24-hour goal and actually I'd I'd planned my run to do it in 20 hours which was a bit stupid <laughs> in a word because if I had done that I think I would have come fourth overall in the race and um, <laughs> that was me just like oh yeah 20 hours that works so it's like five hours for a marathon-ish and just do that four times um 
but so I'd um, stupidly set timings to sort of meet friends at certain places based on all of that. And then completely ran even faster than that for the first half marathon, almost marathon, um, basically running at course record pace. And wow, I mean, why? I, I still am unsure why, why, why did I do that, Ali? I think there's a couple of things in that. I mean, first of all, you've never run that distance before. You've never done anything that long before. I mean, 40 miles is a long way. Um, and so you, you kind of, uh, we've all been there. I think you have this almost like blind belief and a little bit of kind of like, hey, why can't I run five mar- four marathons back to back in, in five hours? Maybe That's, I can do it. Maybe I can do it. And you don't know. <laughs> you never, you don't know, do you, until you've got that experience. And this is the great thing about trying these things is that you you learn so much whether it's your first one or whether it's your fifth tenth whatever it may be whatever the distance part run or whatever you always learn something about you and your ability to pace or what you need to eat or your equipment or something there's always something to take away from it so it's really interesting to the kind of the way you kind of phrased it like look that was stupid aiming for 20 hours well yeah kind of maybe it was a little bit but also like you don't know that that was stupid before you have a go do you (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly right yeah I think I I had practiced with all my foods um so I, I knew I was like right okay I just need to stick to this plan and I'll be well fueled but then I didn't plan for the intensity that I ran at so I I followed my nutrition plan great but I didn't follow my run plan so that meant my heart rate was a lot higher it meant my sweat rate was so much higher because I was, I mean, it was also the sun was coming up in the morning and it was a nice bright day. So I was losing a lot more fluid and I was burning a lot more carbohydrate than I anticipated. So I'd actually got to the, it was about 25 mile point and I was glycogen depleted. I was thinking, you know, this is an absolute rookie error. I'm a sport nutritionist and I've, I've completely ruined this. So I'd got into a, a massive hole and was lucky that I was able to then see my friends who met me at the sort of 26, 27 mile point. And I was quite dehydrated just because I was, I was following my hydration plan. I was drinking, but I was just, I, have, I should probably say I have a very high sweat rate. So I was really struggling to get in. Well, it wasn't I'm nowhere near matching my losses. I think I was working out that I was drinking about 500 milliliters an hour. I must have been sweating about 1,500 or 2,000 milliliters an hour. So I was just getting into a bit of a hole there. And that's when you start then experiencing the GI issues and you basically had to slow down. So that was how I, how I sort of got out of the hole. There was a lot more walking than I'd wanted to after that, to sort of running slower, accepting that I probably shouldn't have run the first half marathon in under two hours and build, building on from that because that's just not sustainable I, I want to ask a question from because from personal experience and being a coach when um I used to do some big events I used to feel a lot of pressure because as well as you know racing for my own enjoyment I also felt a lot of pressure put on ultimately by myself of trying to perform because it's my job to get other people to perform did you feel any pressure on that respect in terms of you are a professional sports nutritionist or a lifestyle nutritionist did you feel that pressure that you wanted to make sure your plan was absolutely bang on and that you would get it right straight away first time no problems look at that how good is that um honestly I I hadn't had those thoughts up until the moment I bonked (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> um, and when I think when I'm low muscle glycogen, it I I haven't I hadn't been training low, so I wasn't particularly well prepared for it. And I know just I mean the lack of glucose in the brain, it just it really gets me down. And then you start having these emotions, like you just said, the the added pressure of god i i have just just completed one marathon in 100 and i've got these feelings like i want to quit and i've also brought up a support team of friends about 10 people strong and they've dedicated a whole day of their weekend to come up and see me and uh, i'm not going to finish it and all of this and then slowly managed to get a few like chocolate fridge cake some pieces of them down me which i was swallowing <laughs> basically almost whole after having sort of I want to say chewed, but it wasn't really chewed. It was sort of just mush it up a little bit with um, some fluid in my mouth. Um, so getting that little bit more carbohydrate in there. And then, then you start feeling, oh, okay, I'm over the worst of it now. I can actually, I can keep moving. I just need to go a bit of a slower pace here. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it's, um, sounds like you went off like a rocket and then suddenly realized, hang on a minute, <laughs> I need to pull this back. So, so then later on in the, in the race, so you, you know, let's say you're looking at sort of 12 hours in where were you at then 12 hours in I was pretty much bang on 50 miles yeah and it had just got dark because the race kicked off at 8 a.m so it started getting dark around seven ish so I'd maybe just had an hour of sort of dusk to darkness and at the 50 mile point I had met my support team for the final time and actually ran into them at the same point I saw them at mile 25 or whatever and I looked so much better <laughs> and they all commented on it they said wow like okay he's gonna do it now 100% he, he's <laughs> I think from seeing me look pretty low and flat and a bit dehydrated to then seeing me bounce in head torch on big smile on and I, I said you know definitely gonna do this now but the reason for that was running as it got darker it got cooler so I wasn't sweating as much so the high well, I say the hydration the, the fluid I was taking on was hydrating me and I was able to actually get my hydration back on track I was able to then well I'd actually pivoted to my plan b nutrition which we'll get into um so I was getting more carbohydrate in as well and I knew that hey I've got now what eight ten hours of, of darkness and I'm gonna be going to be running fine through that night section that's great it's really cool to hear hear about how that you know sometimes when the night's coming in it can be a sign of like oh no I've got the whole night to get through and it can be it literally can be quite a dark experience for some people but to actually flip it and turn that into a real positive it's a really cool really cool technique I want to I do want to talk about like the benefits of a plan like a nutrition plan um yes. And, and almost in synergy of almost the benefit of a race plan or a training plan. But before we do that, and before we talk about the rest of the event, when you're, for, for the benefit of the listener, when you're sort of thinking about a long distance ultra event, whether that's triathlon, running, cycling, whatever it may be, are there kind of key, what sort of key things do people really need to consider for these long distance events when you're thinking about a nutrition plan? First thing, Ali, would be, carbohydrate per hour so the amount of grams of carbohydrate you're consuming per hour and I talked to so many quite high quality athletes and they still don't really know it might be a couple of gels here or there a bit of a couple of bananas but actually 
I, I think there's a lot of value in whether you've you've got a plan and it's working well just knowing well how how many grams of carbohydrate actually is that that you're taking in per hour because then what you can do is you could slowly increase it you could in in training you could train your gut which might then have a positive impact on your performance and if you then wanted to change the modality of fat carbohydrate so change the food stuff be it whole food be it supplement then you've got a ballpark figure to to use to manipulate it so if you're having let's say two gels an hour just I'm just using gels as an example because it's easy for people to visualize the size of it so that would be roughly 20 grams of carbohydrate in each so 40 grams per hour well that's going to be the equivalent to maybe two bananas an hour because they're about 20 grams each but you're probably not going to have two bananas an hour for a whole 100 mile run because you're going to be getting through what 48 bananas so you need to have some options there but if you know hey i'm doing okay i'm not bonking on 40 grams per hour well then suddenly you've got you've got a something to work towards that you can say right well i can know i can have maybe a jam sandwich it's going to be two slices of bread that's going to be bringing 30 grams i can put a little bit of jam in there that gets me up to 40 and that might be my one bit of food for that hour so i'll split it in two and have it every half an hour so grams of carbohydrate exceptionally important i think also you want to consider the amount of fiber that you're going to be having in your plan because very often we well, especially triathletes, because they want to be absolutely crushing it on the intensity, on the threshold the whole time. And there's not really much low, slow stuff or possibly not enough of that. They probably leaning more towards just the really high sugar fuels. So they then haven't trained their gut to be able to tolerate more high fiber, high protein, high fat foods. And if then they're going for a longer duration, and they're saying, well, I might want to have some more whole foods, but they haven't trained with them. That can be difficult. So having an understanding of how much fiber, how much protein, how much fat is in the foods that you're consuming on a plan is going to be quite helpful. I guess I'm just kind of thinking as you're speaking there for somebody like me that gets a little bit kind of overwhelmed with data and numbers. I guess it's just habit forming, though, isn't it? You know, when you know roughly what you know your carbohydrates you can have in an hour and what that actually means in terms of that's a bit of food and this is what i can eat per hour then that actually becomes like a habit and therefore you don't have to worry so much about the numbers once you've got the habit in place and you understand that and what it means for you yeah so i mean i think i've i've probably made that sound a lot more complicated than it is and admittedly at the moment i do a race planning product where i have a spreadsheet and we can program stuff in and get it really specific but to really simplify that all you need to do is read the back of the pack. So if you're having something like a granola bar, it will say it has 23 grams of carbohydrate per serving. And you can then say, right, well, I'm going to have that every half an hour, or I'm going to have that. And then I'm going to have a banana, for example, which is that 20 grams. And just, you can write a list on a bit of paper or create your plan. And I've seen people put almost like tape around post-it notes onto their bike to sort of with timings and then what they're having. And it, you can literally do it without plugging anything on a calculator. And there's a little bit of maths there could be helpful. So, so you've already alluded to it in the 100 miler that you essentially, for whatever reasons, you know, going out too hard and sweating more than you had anticipated and, and the heart rate being higher than you'd anticipated, put a severe, not severe, but put a massive shift in your 
race plan and you know equally your nutrition plan which created a few problems in terms of bonking which for those of you who don't know what you know bonking in a sporting term is is when you completely basically just crash of energy <laughs> and, in a and sporting term. yeah <laughs> and uh you've completely crash and you know you you, you want to stop you've got no energy and you know it's not the nicest of things to experience so to, to have picked yourself back up and carried on so early on in such a long race is, is credit and testament to, to you as, a, as an athlete but it's also I think you know it's great to have a plan to get you from one point to a finish point but that plan needs to be flexible and how could how did you then sort of going back to your 100 miler how did you then flip into your plan b and what was your plan b My plan, I'll, I'll start explaining what my plan A was. So my plan A was mainly whole foods. And I was trying to change the type of food, depending on the time of day, to think about actually having, having something different, having something tasty. So I started off having these sort of breakfast foods almost, whereas hot cross buns with jam and bananas. And then was going to more almost lunchtime foods where I might have sweet potato or jacket potato or things, something like that. So it was mainly whole food. It was mainly high carbohydrate foods. I had some sweeter things as well. So like chocolate fridge cake, flapjacks. And I, my plan was, well, I'm just going to have something every half an hour and it's going to be roughly 40 grams of carbohydrate so that I know I'm going to be almost having 60 grams an hour. Sort of linking back to that. I had practiced and planned all of that in training because that's one of the absolute fundamentals that you learn is you don't do anything new on race day and make sure you practice everything um but the difficulty with running 100 miles is you don't practice running 100 miles in training you maybe run for four hours which might be a marathon but then getting past that you it's difficult to then train your gut to to know what to come or to know what to expect even I think going out like yes, going out too fast was terrible. So my plan B, or the reason I needed to go with a plan B, is just like I was really struggling to to chew food. It there was a lack of moisture in my mouth from the dehydration. So I was putting something like a a chocolate yummy in or a chocolate fridge cake, and I was chewing it, and just nothing happened. It just wouldn't get smaller. <laughs> so I was, um, I was having a sort of swig from my water bottle and like swilling <laughs> it around to then swallow chunks of it, which wasn't the most pleasant thing. Like it should be a really tasty thing. Yeah. But um yeah. So my, my plan B was well I'm just gonna have to find some sugar. I'm gonna have to find some liquid carbohydrate. So when I met my support team, I was very grateful that we had the orange juice packed because then I know there's going to be almost 10 grams of carbohydrate per hundred mils. So I think as I right, if I can just get a couple of hundred mils in and I was stopping for a longer period of time, stopping lowers the heart rate. It means there's going to be more blood going to my gut because the intensity is lower. Um, and I'm not running. So I don't have that mechanical jostling as well. So then it's going to be easier for me to tolerate that carbohydrate and moving it to a liquid format removes some of the stresses that of me digesting it so it removes there's no protein really there's no fiber there's no fat so it's just water and carbohydrate it's going to be make it as easy as possible for me to actually get that carbohydrate into my system so liquid carbs was a big one and hadn't actually taken sugar or tailwind in my plan because my plan was just whole food the whole way i thought that's going to be perfect um 
I I had a phone call when I, I went the wrong way. I didn't tell you that. I um I ran the wrong way for six miles, which was um hilarious. But I got this phone call and they're saying I came at the um at the meet point there's an ice cream van. Would you like an ice cream? I was like, yes, a hundred percent. I would love an ice cream. And they timed it perfectly. So I, I ran in and met them and had this Mr. Whippy that must have been 10 inches above the cone. It was massive. Wow. Um, I couldn't actually finish it. It was that big. <laughs> um, but there's there's no fiber in that. So there's yes, there is fat. So it's going to slow the gastric emptying. But it was just you don't have to chew ice cream, do you? So I was it was perfect for me to get back on track. And I'm not recommending everyone goes out and start smashing ice cream. But actually, <laughs> if you can find some ice cream on a hot um, ultra run, you know, it can be pretty good option. It's um, it's easy to get down after after that so from about maybe 40 miles 50 miles i was pretty much solely fueling myself on sugar <laughs> it's um, funny saying that out loud but at the aid stations i found that they had these big bags of caster sugar that they would they're really just using to put teaspoons into people's coffee when they're making them coffee and i said oh can i pour some of that into my bladder in my camel pack they're like um sort of looked at me a bit strange but yeah sure um because everyone else would probably have like tailwind or something in a sachet where you know exactly how much it is and with hindsight i 100 percent would have planned for that i would have probably divvied up and set uh portioned out some maltodextrin or some table sugar or whatever it is so that i know exactly how much is then going to be going into my camel pack and fortunately i'm reasonably well experienced that pouring sugar into a, a bottle or a beverage so i was eyeballing it aiming for about a six percent solution <laughs> so quite a skill is... quite a skill when you're midway through a hundred mile race <laughs> yeah yeah um i mean actually having the carbohydrate coming in meant i was quite compassmentous i think there's quite a lot of people that were running low that they were then not really that with it but I was I was definitely getting enough in because I was still able to chat and make that decision and do a bit of maths at the same time. So I was aiming for about 100 and I think it was about 120 grams of table sugar into my camel without having a scale. So I was sort of saying when at the right time to get that in. So I had this rocket fuel, fuel on my back and was then trying to get a little bit of flapjack down me. But basically the whole food just I, I couldn't stomach it. I was had a very bloated stomach so like lower um intestine was very just didn't want to eat anything but the liquid carbohydrate was working so and then the longer the race went on actually the more the food settled so i was i was feeling stronger as the race went on actually in terms of a fueling perspective so my question would be to you if you were to go back to do the same race again would you keep exactly the same nutrition plan but go out a lot more under control than what you did and do you think that in your nutrition plan would have worked had you have not scuppered yourself at the beginning it's difficult to answer um i don't know i suppose mm. if i if i was to do it again i wouldn't do the same plans so that probably does tell you something i would definitely introduce liquid carbohydrate from the start so that i don't have to stress my gut with high fiber or lots of fiber um, foods right from the off, because then you can just pipette in whole foods when you want a bit of mouth pleasure, when you want the taste of food. And I think that would work really well. 
And it's then going to be hopefully more sustainable on your gut because there's not going to be a big bolus of food coming in at what it's not really one time, but in, in say the first four hours. Okay. So let's bring it back towards, towards the end of the race. You know, you're coming in towards the end, you're looking at your, your 24 hour shift from 20 hour cutoff point. That was, if that, that was, was that your cutoff or the race cutoff? Race cutoff was 30 hours. Okay. So I, from the last aid station, I thought, 24 hours is doable here, but I'm going to have to get a bit of a shimmy on. So one thing that I haven't brought up at all yet, which I wanted to bring up um, at some point in the pod, and I think now's a good time to, is the fact that two weeks after the 100 miler, you'd signed, you'd had a place for the London Marathon, which is something that when you get a, get a spot, you want to hold on to because they, they're like unicorn poo. And <laughs> I think at that point in your 100 miles, what were you even thinking about the marathon two weeks later? Yes, I I had been advised by a fellow ultra runner, actually Nick Butter, who'd been on your pod before. Yeah, yeah. He said, make sure you have a, a plan so that you don't have to make decisions during the hundred. So, for example, if you sprain an ankle, are you going to finish and then basically sacrifice yourself for that you can't do the marathon? Um, I knew coming in from the last 20 miles, my feet were exceptionally sore. I regret wearing barefoot shoes. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was per- they were perfect up until about 65 miles, but after yeah. that, I think I needed a si- half a size up on the right foot. So I was, I was experiencing quite a lot of pain on the underside of my feet. And that made me think, I'm going to run the marathon for fun. It's, it's not going to be this get this three hour goal that I, I thought was achievable because I've been done doing so much running over the last year. So there was a real mindset shift of, okay, marathon is going to just be enjoy the experience. Sure. Your feet might be a bit sore, but it's about actually ticking the marathon's been London marathon's been on my bucket list for ever. And literally just running around London with that crowd is an experience in itself. It didn't necessarily need a time goal. So yes, um, in answer to your question, it did go through my mind and I thought I'm going to push hard for the 24 hour cutoff, knowing that I'm no longer really going to be able to achieve a PB time for London. That's cool. That's a really good bit of advice, actually, that, you know, make those decisions prior to the time when you need to make those decisions almost. And it's probably quite a good thing that you took the pressure off for the London Marathon. So you got to experience it for what it is because you can go and run three hours anywhere. It doesn't have to, doesn't have to be in the London marathon. You can go and do it at any marathon. And I think part of the London marathon is the experience, isn't it? I've, I've, I've never done it, but from what everybody says, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> it's gonna, in the moment, 20 miles to go, that was my mindset, even after finishing it. But a, a week after um, the hundred, I'd made the decision that I was going to go for it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> which uh is was foolish because i didn't come anywhere close to it well i i held that three hour pace for as long as physically possible which was my goal okay and uh i reached reached an um half marathon at 130 but sweet feeling good and probably ran half a mile and then off running through treacle for the last uh, 13 miles <laughs> before we get into the marathon part of it then <laughs> yeah. i want to go obviously obviously you've, you've finished the 100 miler congratulations yes. that must have been an awesome feeling crossing that line like you know after all the trials and tribulations and the m- months of build up towards it 
And as much as you can normalize it, when you when you achieve your goal, it's worthwhile giving yourself a huge pat on the back. So well done. Then if we if we flip your nutrition for energy James hat back on rather than the ultra runner James hat back on. Yeah. After something like a hundred miler, you know, whether or not you have a, a a marathon or another big event within the next few weeks, what are the key things in terms of nutrition that as athletes or as people we need to make sure that we're aware of i am the first person i'll put my hand up when i was doing the stone six ways challenge i can't remember who i was talking to that what's your what, what are you going to do after this and i was like i'm going to spend the weekend drinking beer and eating pizza like yeah great fun and that's what i wanted to do and i think that is what i did but if we're looking at actually optimizing recovery what are the kind of key takeaways that, that you can give us well, I mean, there was definitely incentive for me to optimize my recovery because of that marathon coming in. So I was trying to practice some of these principles. So the first one is I wasn't just being guided by my hunger signals because actually the first two, three days, I really wasn't hungry. And that kind of scared me a little bit because I was expecting to be ravenous, having expended so much energy over 24 hours. So I was trying to almost force feed food into me and really prioritizing protein there because I needed to actually put some of the building blocks into my system to allow this recovery process to happen, even though I wasn't hungry. So prioritizing high quality protein sources. So even though I normally don't consume much uh, milk or I mean, I still I didn't eat any meat, but I was having more fish than probably normal. So having these high leucine foods or if I really wasn't hungry and couldn't even stomach a, a shake as a snack or something like that, then I was having BCAAs just to give some leucine into my system, which a bit of context, leucine is the key amino acid that drives muscle protein synthesis. So you can put some into, it's like a powder, you can, and it's normally getting the flavored option is a good idea because they taste vile, but <laughs> it's, um, it's then it's quite a, a dilute fluid so that you can sip on it like you would a water. So that's, that was one of the, the key parts was protein and not just in those first three days, but actually getting it right for two weeks, basically. So consistency, having at least, at least three. So I was trying to aim for four or even five really good hits of protein throughout the day. Um, having my normal breakfast, which would be maybe soaked oats with a little bit of protein powder or peanut butter, maybe having a mid-morning shake, which is something I wouldn't normally do just to really put some amino acids and put some protein into my system, having that high quality lunch, sort of mixed meal. So this is now moving away from protein, but thinking about quality ingredients. And I think recovery protein is the headline, obviously, the first thing I've gone to there. But the reality is it's not the only thing needed for recovery. And that's when we start bringing in fruit and vegetables because we need all the vitamins, minerals, cofactors, polyphenols that are so rich in these plant plant and foods. So aiming for color. So I've mentioned my breakfast and snack, but having a, a lunch that is is rich in nutrients. So maybe it's a really diverse salad at a time when you not really have much energy or doesn't really feel like preparing something it's okay let's go to the fridge i know there is good food there we've we've bought it and we've planned for this so i just now need to actually get it in it's following the process i might not be exactly what i want to eat but i know i need to have this that's interesting and i 
a lot of people have the I don't know whether you've experienced experienced this after the 100 miler but also so you've got this sort of the physical side of recovery but there's also the sort of the holistic and the emotional side of recovery because particularly something like 100 miles if you've never done it before it's a massive it's a massive achievement and you get the kind of the high but I don't know whether you've experienced whether you experienced the kind of the drop off and the kind of oh, that's kind of done now I'm pretty tired I'm pretty low on energy everything kind of hurts a bit and that can be a sort of a, a little sort of downward slope I'm not saying it's necessarily happened to you it's definitely happened to me is there anything we can do with our nutrition to uh, to kind of alleviate the emotional or to assist the emotional recovery from these events it's a very good question and I wish I had a really definite answer for you I would say that there probably would be some benefit. I, I don't know. I can't really stress the amount of benefit, but having some probiotic rich foods just because of the synergy with the gut and how that links with the brain. But I think the reality is completing such a, a massive goal. You've got such a big release of serotonin. So you've basically used huge amounts of dopamine, serotonin, all of these feel good hormones. And they're going to take a while to recharge. So, I mean, I didn't do this, but there might be an argument for supplementing with something like 5-HTP or L-tryptophan or something like that to give the building blocks to build those neurotransmitters. But I, there's not really evidence for that. So I'm not going to put my name out there and say, hey, go and do this. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just something I wanted to put put towards you because I've, I know I've certainly had experienced that and I know some of my athletes have experienced that particularly after big challenges that you know you spend your time and you commit to them and then they're kind of they're done and dusted and you have the the insane high but then you also have this kind of a bit of a void that can yeah be, no I, I did experience it yeah I, I really did um <laughs> it's strange because I mean you you know you know me like bouncing around I'm I'm always high energy it's um and it's funny because I actually I mean I don't tell my clients this but I sometimes struggle to relate when okay I'm struggling with energy James and it's okay well I, I know how to fix this but I I struggle to is it empathize or sympathize with well, one that I, I experience it yeah. so after the 100 miler I I was low energy I it's it's horrible <laughs> it's uh it's not a good place to be you just yeah you don't have the motivation to to move around lots i didn't even have the motivation to sort of crack on with new projects at work i i basically just spent a lot of time writing up my account of um of the run yeah would you do it again or another hundred miles i think for now it's definitely scratched the itch i think from a time perspective i mean i've learned so much during that whole run i mean i would be able to beat the time but actually I think the time wasn't that important for me and I don't I feel like from my from an ego point of view I don't need to prove to myself that I can go out faster mm. even though I think I probably could I, I don't feel like I need to prove that so I think I've spent you know the best part of a year more just running and I like variety I love it I'd love doing different things learning new skills so I think I'm probably just going to throw myself into something completely different just for a bit of fun but loops back into that diversity chat that we had at the beginning doesn't it keeps you fresh yeah. keeps you interested right so let's um 
for the benefit of the listeners and you know it's this time of the year or this time of the season where you know particularly everything that's happened over the last couple of years you know it's been a funny season and now we're kind of hopefully looking forward to to next year fingers crossed being a bit more normal and people are considering races and events etc and you know I'm talking to various people at the moment about training plans and how we can start to structure training with a view to long-term goals etc you know, I, I I know the answer to this question. I'm sure you do, and I'd like to talk to you about it. But where does a nutrition plan, when when kind of should it start, or a race plan, when should it actually start? You know, because like we've said, you don't want to try something new on the event. You've talked a little bit about how you can kind of improve your training sessions with the right nutrition. So should it, you know, in your opinion, what's the synergy between a training plan and a nutrition plan? I would say it depends slightly on what you're trying to get out of the nutrition. So whether it is trying to improve your body composition so that you can go into your training plan or because because reality is making nutrition improvements from the off, you having more time is a luxury so that you can probably do things a little bit slower, a bit more sustainably. But if your goal is in relation to fueling and optimizing your training plan as best you can, and maybe you've got some A races, B races booked in next year, then starting a nutrition plan when your training plan starts is going to be the best time, I would think. The reason for that is you want to start practicing race nutrition and targeting certain training sessions so that when your race does roll around, you've practiced that race day nutrition many times, you've refined it, you you know, okay, 100%, I just follow this plan. I'm well fueled. And it's then it comes down to that controlling the controllables. That's one thing that you like. Yeah, that one's in the box. It's done. I know that works for me. So come that comes back to practicing it in training and refining it in training and not being scared to get it wrong in training. Um, but having some guidance around how to do that is quite helpful. I think what you just touched upon there kind of is a bit of a theme from the whole podcast today about not being afraid to get it wrong. And if you can do that in a training session, that's only going to bolster your strength and performance in an event. And I think one of the great things about the 100 miles, your 100 mile race at the Robin Hood was the fact that you did actually face a fair amount of adversity when your plan kind of went out the window, really. And you, and you managed to kind of flip it and rescue yourself and in your own words you got stronger and stronger as the as the race went on you started to, the food started to settle and you know and you could see that you were going to finish that that challenge and I think you know I talk about I talk about it a lot on this podcast of you know what can be perceived as failure actually can turn into huge success and even if you break that down into micro elements of a training plan you might have a training session where let's say you fuel yourself really badly and you think oh that's what a waste of a session that was well actually it's not a waste of a session at all because you've learned and you've experienced potentially what it's like to bonk and you'd much rather bonk in a long training session than on a long race where on a training session you can just stop and you can get off sit at the side of the road get someone to bring you a coffee and whatever you need and you'll be okay but you'd rather kind of learn from that and I think you know, out of, you know, every episode of the podcast, we learn a lot. And I think, you know, learning about perceived failures and, and educating ourselves from these experiences is, is really key. And I, th- I think that's a massive lesson of, of what you've been sharing with us today is like, you know, everything is an experience and you can take from it and learn from it and grow from it, which is, which is really encouraging. 
And so, so with that, just to chime in and maybe give the listener a tip is yeah. how do you learn from it? And what I would say is reflection is how you learn from it. So having a process where maybe in your training diary, you write down, okay, ate this, this happened. Because it's with, as humans, like if, if we actually physically take the moment to write something down, it's far more likely to stick in our brain and we're then less likely to do it again or do something different and more positive next time. Because you can say that, oh, just when I bonked and then, you know, probably do the same thing next week because we won't have planned for it or done anything differently. But if we have that moment of reflection, we're far more likely to actually learn from it. Yeah, and this is where, you know, if I think now towards my towards my expertise in the sort of the coaching side of stuff with a, with a training plan if you don't reflect back on your training plan you know me and my athletes if I have no notes and no session plans and no feedback from them and data etc we've got nothing really to learn from apart from what they've sort of felt and hold, held on to emotionally whereas you can reflect back and be like well we tried that before and it didn't happen didn't work so we're not going to try that again we're going to try something else and I think that's great to kind of, yeah, really nice add on there. Thanks for, for adding that in, in terms of like record stuff. Mm. So you've got it there to reflect back on. And I think reflection is really powerful. I don't know whether I certainly don't do enough of it. And it's something that we should all do a bit more of, I think. So, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Um, we, I want to kind of, um, there was a bit of interaction on Instagram this week, knowing that you were coming on the pod. And I've got a few questions from the listeners. Yeah, um, We've got at Jarvis Proker who is someone we've both worked with. I've coached him in the pool. You've worked on his nutrition plan, which he's got some immense feedback about. But he wanted to ask you on the pod, are there, are there really such things as superfoods? Okay, quick fire. I would describe a superfood as something that is exceptionally nutrient-dense compared to its weight. So you've got these things like maybe goji berries or like acacia berry, acai berries, that are going to be, yes, they are going to be exceptionally nutrient dense because they're, they're small, they're quite potent, but the reality is they're probably going to be drastically overpriced because they now have this label. Whereas if you have a strawberry, you're going to be getting as much goodness, but, but it might just come at a slightly larger volume. But if you like the taste and if you like the flavor, then go for it, experiment with them. But I think having all these like spirulina and things like that, Sure, they're going to be nutrient rich, but it's still a powder. And I think they're marketed as like really high protein. But I mean, you're having a serving size of three grams of spirulina. So you might be getting two grams of protein. And actually, that's it's not that much protein if you compare it to having, let's say, a tin of beans or something like that. So it's they might be nutrient rich, but the reality is I think they're overhyped. Good marketing. <laughs> <laughs> OK, thanks. Right. At Nat underscore hat uh, asks, uh, if you have one piece of nutritional advice above all other, what would it be? Think critically about what you eat. Um, and I suppose I can elaborate on that just to, to be eating consciously, because I think so often we we eat, we might eat the first thing consciously. Like, okay, I'm gonna have a biscuit. Mm, nice, nice. And then it's the next one, the next one. And we don't, it might then progressively get less tasty or, I mean, maybe not, but we're not really thinking critically about that thing because then coming back to the thinking critically, if, is it aligned to your goals? Is it aligned to your worldview? 
Is it aligned to what you're trying to achieve with your body composition? So taking a second and thinking, I'm putting this food on my plate that's ultimately going to, by the miracle of biology, develop me into a human, grow, regenerate me. Like we want to be putting in tasty, good, nutrient-rich food. Okay. She also asked, carb loading, truth or myth? Well, it is a truth in that you can increase your muscle glycogen stores. However, do you actually need to do it? I mean, it's probably more beneficial for some events than others. So if you're running a three-hour marathon, yes, carb loading is going to be beneficial there because you can probably get through 90 minutes, two hours on most of that carbohydrate. So then you'd need less of it taking in. However, if you're doing an Ironman, do you actually need to carb load? Because the vast majority of your fueling is going to be done during transit. However, then you've got the other argument coming from that saying, well, you're probably better off starting with full muscle glycogen stores because then you're going to be sparing some of that for the more intense elements. But then you've got the other argument saying, yes, but if you did do a carb load, then it's going to increase your muscle glycogen, which stores with water. So you're going to be slightly heavier. But personally, I would rather be slightly heavier and have more fuel with So there's so many different arguments in that scene, but I probably would do it, but consider the amount of fiber in my race day minus one. Okay. And at Danny Turner Cunningham, he asks, what are the biggest mistakes people make about dieting that you've noticed? It's that you eliminate foods and we eliminate food, even food types, food groups. Whereas the reality is we want to, maintain or even expand the range of foods we're having so that we've still got a safety net against micronutrient deficiencies so it's really looking to monitor portion size instead of just blindly block out whole food groups like low carb boom taking out a load of potentially really nutrient rich foods that are going to be helpful or low fat like we everyone went through that phase or keto plant-based whatever it is where there's this big restriction I think restriction is probably the um, the main point, whereas really we want to monitor total size. Okay. I'd lo- I could talk about that with you a little bit further, but I think <laughs> this is quite, we'll save that for another episode. Okay. But James, mate, thank you. I'm, I'm going to start wrapping up now. Thanks so much for, for giving up your time. Obviously, I'll, people might be listening to this and wanting to actually help themselves a bit and find out a little bit more about, you know, how they're fueling themselves and what they can do to actually better their lifestyle and performance through what they put in. Where can people find out a little bit more about you? If you are on Instagram, my nutrition or my Instagram handle is nutrition.for.energy, nutrition for energy. And also if you jump on my website, also nutrition for energy, and there's a host of information about the services I offer, namely the three month plan where we have a nutrition consultation once a month and we really get a bespoke look at improving your performance or the six week challenge, which is a sport nutrition educational video series. Brilliant. James, mate, well done. Congratulations again on your 100 miles and the marathon as well. What two really, really, really cool achievements. And I'm kind of excited to follow your journey and see what's next. Um, and after this call, I'm going to update you on some of my plans now I'm back running again. Um, uh-huh. But, mate, yeah, thanks very much for coming on. And to the listeners, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. It's always good to, to talk nutrition and, and really understand a little bit more about how we can fuel ourselves and get the best out of our beautiful bodies. And if you uh, have liked the episode, please don't hesitate to share it. 
comments, uh, leave us a review. I'd really appreciate all of those things. And I will be bringing you some more content in a couple of weeks time. Take care, everybody.